Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, young ladies. That's a blessing. I've uh, often thought uh, working with uh, Heartland Baptist Bible College and having young ladies like that in the churches where I pastored that um, the way our culture is going, the way it's gone, the way it's going, there are people in this country that don't even know there are young ladies like that yeah. in the country. They would stand up and sing for Christ and have a testimony and submit to their parents. I'll ask them after church. I just assume. They <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's a blessing. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Bob Jones? Bob Jones Sr. used to be on the radio years ago. And at uh, Southwest Baptist Church, you know, we did a lot of gospel, southern gospel type music and everything. And it was nothing for our people to get happy and, you know, few people shout amen and just really enjoy the music. We'd have a Southern Gospel Jubilee every year. Uh, we did for years and, you know, just have hundreds of people come and different uh, groups out of our church and others sing. And somebody came up to me and said, um, Dr. Bob Jones says, if a song makes you tap your foot, it's carnal. It's not good. And I said, well, that's just one of the things I disagreed with him about, you know. <laughs> And uh, so you all are clapping your hands here tonight, and there are churches out here, even, you know, good independent Baptist churches, that, you know, we don't clap our hands. And I always reference uh, Psalm 47.1, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Now, I've searched that out. I know it, it can't possibly mean that, <laughs> but that's what it says. Uh, clap your hands, all you people. Now, this and you don't have much threat of this in a lot of Baptists, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. You know, so this um, little emotion in singing and music and everything, I always wonder what some of these stuffed shirts think about David dancing before the Lord, yeah. you know. And I preached on that one time, a, a dancing king and his heartless wife, you know, because she <laughs> criticized him. And uh, it, uh, so I, I had done that when I was younger, and I was probably 55 or so, and I decided to demonstrate what it means. If you study the word, it means to skip and twist and twirl. And I went all the way across the front of the platform uh, of the uh, auditorium at Southwest. Well, it's, a, it's a quite a ways across there. <laughs> time I got done, I thought, you know, I believe I'll just explain it from now on <laughs> and not try to demonstrate it anymore. But anyway... It's a blessing. Thank you for the good, happy music tonight. Uh, uh, it's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. Isn't that a great song? And what a picture up there with that. Good night. I'm generally not much in need to see pictures when I sing, but boy, was that an appropriate and beautiful picture uh, associated with it. Just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. Boy, that's a good song. Thank you for singing that tonight. All right. You know where we are. We're in the Gospel of John. <laughs> And chapter number six, and while you're turning there, I would like to speak on behalf of my wife and say to the Haggits, thank you for your invitation, Brother Haggit, and thanks for the hospitality. We've had a fellowship and a bite to eat after the services at their home and a good meal, wonderful meal there on Sunday. And so we always enjoy their fellowship. And after Mrs. Haggit and my wife get together, it takes me about two weeks to get her straightened back out again. And, <laughs> And uh, they just they enjoy the fellowship together, and I'm, I'm glad they do. It's absolutely wonderful. 
And uh, so it's been a blessing that way. And I, I think I made mention last night, if I didn't, I should tonight, that I want to praise God. I don't thank you for giving attention to the Word. You don't do it for me anyway. Uh, so I don't thank people for coming to church. I don't thank them for being good listeners. But I praise God for good listeners Amen. and that people have an appetite for the Word of God. I'm very thankful for that. And I've preached to people that are, have an appetite for the Word, and I've preached to those that don't. I, I kind of like better preaching to those that want to hear the Word <laughs> rather than those that you have to work like a dog to get them to hear the Word, you know. And so you all have been, I told the pastor, you all have been very easy to preach to this week. And so I am thankful to God for that. It's a blessing. And thankful for those that have come from other places. And uh, Michael, good to see you. Michael Dobson here was a student at Heartland in 2000 and what did you say? 2001 through 5. So that was a long time ago. He came a kid and he's an old man now. So, you know, it's just the way it goes. But anyway, it's, it's been so good to see you and meet your wife and uh, the folks that you brought. It's a real blessing, real blessing. Got to visit with uh, Jeremiah a little bit last night after the service. That was a real blessing. I want to thank God for the good fellowship and the welcome that we've enjoyed. John chapter 6, um, we're going to uh, stand and begin our reading in verse 59 and read through the remainder of the chapter. Of course, um, this is the, for someone who may not have been here, uh, but may or may not be familiar with John chapter 6, it's where uh, Jesus fed the 5,000. It's Matt, uh, John's record, rather, of the uh, feeding of the 5,000. Now, that was 5,000 men alone. So there are various estimates, you know, there could have been as many as 15,000 people there. Some predict more. And uh, some of those that predict more, that's the ones that, you know, have 100 people and say, man, we had a great, must have been 300 people there. So I don't know about those that, uh, you know, how many people there were there. We know there were 5,000 men alone. And Jesus fed them with what? Five loaves, two fishes, to the full, and then gathered up 12 baskets full. Literally, truly, literally happened. Oh my goodness, did this cause a stir. Would you look down in verse 15 before we go to our reading? I, I failed to really say much about this, but if you look in six, uh, chapter 6 and verse 15, just to see the effect that the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracles that Jesus had begun to do. This is the second miracle. Uh, so in verse number 15, watch this. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So that's the effect that, that uh, this miracle uh, and the understanding of the marriage of Cana where he turned the water into wine, word spread about that as well. And now this miracle, it causes such a stir that Jesus had to remove himself from them lest they take him by force to make him the king. Now, what they wanted to, and were looking for, they wanted the, if Jesus is the Messiah, they wanted him to reign. See, they weren't thinking about death. They were thinking about reigning. In fact, the disciples thought that all the way through. That's why they were still talking all the way to the shadow of the cross 
uh, they were talking about who's going to be the greatest when he reigns and who's going to sit on his right hand, who's going to sit on his left hand. You remember they had those discussions? That's what they were thinking. And they were just kind of bypassing the prophecy about the suffering Messiah and Isaiah chapter 53 and the fact that he would be the suffering one and that he would die. And they wanted liberation from the oppression of Rome. And they wanted Israel restored back to prominence in the world. Let's say like the days of Solomon, when Israel was the nation of the world. See, And that's what they were anticipating. And this might be the one to do just that. I mean, you take five loaves and two fishes, feed 5,000 men alone and gather up 12 baskets. <laughs> he can do anything. But they were way ahead of themselves, and they didn't understand him. So Jesus departed because they would be even willing to try to take him by force and make him a king. So that's how popular, that's how, um, what a stirring, how it affected the people that he had done this miracle. All right, now... Uh, Drop down to verse 59. He has already said some amazing things, and this portion here sums it up enough that I'll not have to go into a whole lot of review. But look at verse number 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, read on, verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, um, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, uh, and he said therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time... Many of his disciples went back. A disciple is what? A pupil. A student. A pupil. And it says, uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. The title of the sermon tonight is this. You are in this story. What? You are in this story. 
I am at the story. And I hope to make uh, sense of that title as we go through this incredible passage tonight. Father, we are very grateful for the privilege, the blessing that is ours to assemble together once again and to give attention to the Word. I can't but think of the words that Jesus said uh, regarding Martha and Mary. Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which cannot be taken away from her. As Martha scurried about going here and there, doing this and that, Mary sat to hear the words of Jesus, and she heard them, and what a difference it made. And I want to thank you for men and women who no doubt normally are not in a church service on a Friday night or Thursday or Tuesday or Monday, and uh, yet to have chosen that good part to give attention to the Word and to come together and open our hearts, our ears, our hearts, our minds to your Word, God. Thank you, and thank you for the privilege to be a part of this meeting. It's a blessing to me. It's been a blessing to my wife, and we thank you, God, for the blessing that is ours. We pray now that you would accomplish your purpose over these next moments, and may your Holy Spirit do your work for your glory and your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. you may be seated. Actually, every soul, anywhere, anytime, that is confronted with the reality of who Jesus is will find themselves in this account that we just read. So I said, and made it, tried to make it very personal to you, you are in this story. But then so is everyone. Where I talked to Brother Stensis today on the telephone, was talking about his son, Brother Matt, over in Uganda, and the couple that's a graduate of Heartland, the uh, Bufords that are over there with them. And uh, Brother Alex Buford got to lead a man to the Lord this week uh, there in Uganda. It's a very exciting thing, very exciting time. You know, they're just newly, relatively newly have gone there and to be leading people to the Lord. Actually, everybody they present the gospel to will find themselves in this account. So it doesn't matter if it's Uganda or United States of America, Missouri or Oklahoma, it doesn't matter. Anybody anywhere that is confronted with the reality that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the Christ, anybody that is confronted with that is going to find themselves in this account. So in the uh, sixth chapter of John, and very early in Jesus' ministry, and uh, performing the second uh, miracle of Galilee, that's what the Bible says, and uh, doing this, we have to understand <clears throat> that he has made it very clear now who he is. Uh, he has made, I tried to emphasize it as we developed or tried to develop the passage last night, that Jesus made it very clear, I am the bread which came from heaven. I am the living bread. 
you eat of this bread, you have eternal life. He said to the woman at the well that we talked about earlier in the week, he said to her, you drink of this living water and you will never thirst again. And you eat of this bread and you have eternal life. That's uh, that water and the bread are both mentioned again here in verse 35 of chapter number 6. So he's making it very clear. I am the bread of heaven. Now, it was at that point that some of the people that, were <laughs> that had marveled at and were all excited about the great miracle that had taken place. In fact, more than one had taken place within the context of this. And they were so excited about that when Jesus said, I am the bread which came from heaven, then they, it was, they were saying something like this. Whoa, let's put the brakes on here just a little bit. Now, we, we, like, the <laughs> we like the bread. We like the miracle. And we like what you, the way he talked, never a man spake like he spake. Somebody say amen, please. I mean, never a man spake like he spake. And we like the way you teach and all of this, but this is a little much. We're not quite, weren't you from Nazareth? Aren't your parents, Joseph and Mary? I mean, we know you. We know your family that came up. What are you talking about? The bread that came down from heaven. You're from Nazareth. See? And that was kind of their attitude. And that, that began to manifest itself more as we go through the account. But Jesus didn't then back off and say, okay, well, you're not ready for this. As a matter of fact, he said, if you will eat of this bread, then you will have eternal life. And he called it eternal life. He called it everlasting life. And, uh, and you will be raised again the third day. My soul now is thrown in the resurrection. So he is not only saying that he is the bread from heaven, he is saying that if a person hopes to have life eternal, then they must eat of this bread. And then he says, those that eat of this bread, indeed, then they will be raised again in the last day. He said it five times in our chapter, that they will be raised again. He wants us to understand, or all of them and us to understand about the resurrection. And so he makes that claim. This is, this is astounding this is an incredible claim. But then when he sees that they are troubled and big-eyed about this, he doesn't say, well, let me back off and make this clear. He said, no, you must eat my body and drink my blood. Yeah. Whoa. Now this is getting over the top as far as those people are concerned. See, in their own thinking. They're struggling with it that he said he's a bread from heaven. Uh, they're struggling with it when he said he is the source of eternal life. Now they're struggling with it because he uses the language, shock language of consumption. And he says, if you're going to have this eternal life, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And there are people that still read that and say, yikes, what is this about? When Jesus makes it clear what it's about. He is, again, using the shock language or the language of uh, consumption, and he is saying, to eat of me is to believe in me. And to drink of me is to believe in me. Not just in John chapter 6, but throughout the whole Gospel of John, the big theme of everything is, is that we know God by believing in Jesus Christ. And that eternal life comes by believing in Jesus Christ. And that if we are going to be disciples indeed, then we are going to believe in Jesus Christ and continue in his words. See? So there are disciples, those that were sitting there as pupils, and there are what he called in John chapter 8, disciples indeed. And we've tried to, 
work on that and preach about that uh, last night in the service. Now, what was their response to it? Look in verse number 60 one more time. Many, therefore, as disciples, when they heard, had heard this, said, hmm. You know, it's not like they said, wow, this is a hard saying we'd sure like to get a hold of. No, it was a murmuring tone. Read verse number 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? So this was that type of uh, uh, their expression of this is a hard saying. Uh, who can buy into this? Who can hear this? And he knew, he knew that they were murmuring and Jesus knew that his words had what? Offended them. Doth this offend you? I mean, now you've been following me. You ate of the bread. You saw what happened in the calming of the storm, how that he went from one side of the Sea of Galilee and to the other side of the Sea of Galilee with, uh, in a manner that no man could explain. Supernatural stuff going on here. Not just the feeding of the 5,000, but the calming of the storm and also the passage of Jesus uh, from one side of the Sea of, did I say Red Sea? Uh, whatever I said. I meant the Sea of Galilee. From one side of the Sea of Galilee to the side of the other, and they had no idea how it happened. He did, the disciples didn't know. Nobody knew. Well, it's because God did that supernaturally. See? And all of this is going on, and it's marvelous. Now, you're with me with all the signs. You're with me with all the miracles. You're with me with enjoying that bread. Come on, if Jesus made uh, bread multiply, I guarantee that's the best bread they'd ever eaten. And, and if he served them the fish, I'm almost sure it's the best fish they'd ever eaten. And not only that, it satisfied hungry stomachs. And not only that, there was an abundance and bounty and prosperity like we might think of that we see around all of us day by day by day. No, sir, that is not how they lived. This was a special occasion and he said, you've been with me to now. Am I losing you now? Does this offend you? Are my words of truth a trip stick to you? That's what offend means. Are the words that I'm speaking? He couldn't speak anything but the truth. I said he couldn't even speak. He is truth personified. And he only said the words his father gave him to say. Are, are my words of truth, are they a trip stick to you? Are you going to quit me now? And from that time, many of his disciples departed and followed him no more. That's the first group. There are three groups here to be discussed. And the first group is that group of verse 66. It's the many I said, it's the many. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples, pupils, went, those that had heard him, sat under his teaching, watched his works, went back and walked no more with him. Some are among those that go back. The true bread from heaven, Jesus said, believe in me, eat of me, drink of me. They said, too hard. Uh, this, uh, 
that really isn't what we were expecting. We're not quite ready for this. Now, you want to do some more miracles? <laughs> We'd like to see that. You want to provide some more food? Come on. Who doesn't want food? We'll have some more of that. You want to do some of these mysterious things again? We are fine with that. But to believe you as though you are God? No. Can't do that. It's not, that's not what we, personally, that's not even what I think we need. That's not what I'm looking for. Now, <clears throat> um, I, I started out in the ministry in Dell City, Oklahoma, in 1967. And uh, so the first thing uh, that I did is I started knocking doors. That's what the pastor said to do. He said, uh, Sam, you're going to uh, start an adult Sunday school class. And he said, you don't get any visitor that just happens in or that somebody else brought. Uh, you, you have to have, you're going to build this class out of only the people that you bring. And that's all you're going to get. And if anybody comes in, they're a guest out of the, they have what, three or four classes at that time, adult classes. And he said, then they'll go to my class in the auditorium or they'll go to Don's class over there. Or, but they're not going to your class. You have to bring them in. And then he said, if you can't bring in enough people in a year uh, that their offerings will pay your salary, then I don't need you here. So that gave me a burden for people right away. You know. <laughs> so I started knocking doors. Now, as green as I could be, I was uh, 21 years, just turning, just turning 22 years of age. Looked like I was about 17 or something like that. And so I'm out knocking doors, and I can just remember coming to all kinds of people. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an incredible experience. Now, through the process of time, somebody said, did it work? Yeah, fortunately, I wasn't paid very much. So it, it worked out pretty good. And so we actually got people. But I remember getting people that used to be in church. I remember getting people that, uh, oh, of course I'm saved. Oh, of, yes, I did that. I was, yeah, and I was baptized. There was a large, large Southern Baptist church right next door to us. I mean, there's 27th Street was right here, and First Baptist Church was right here. First Southern Baptist Church was right there. That made for some interesting moments. But this was a very aggressive church over here. And they were the ones who would have the crusade. And a lot of times at their crusade, the evangelists would say, how many of you want to be saved and they'd raise their hands so they'd count them up and say they were saved and stuff like that and so I met people knocking doors all over the place yeah I got saved at the Starlight Crusade or I was saved at First Southern I was saved when I rode the bus to First Baptist Church the church I was at and so yeah oh yes I've been saved and meet people that have been saved and so where are you now where's your spell well I know yeah you where, where do you go to church now well we're not in church right now and they start talking about we went to church for a while and yeah it was really great we were plugged in there wherever it might have been and we liked it there but then something happened something happened well something tripped them up along the way it could have been that a preacher actually preached the Bible straight and they got tripped up at truth. That is possible, isn't it? That people are tripped up by truth. It doesn't matter that they can see it in the Word of God and you can rightly divide the Word of God and give them what the Word of God says. It may be that they may not be able to disprove it and have to acknowledge that that in fact is what the Bible says, but that's not what I want. So they don't no, where no. Well, we'd like you to come. No, no, I mean I no, no, thank you. I'm good. I don't want to do that. And so they go on. 
Then other times there are people that just got distracted. They went to church. Maybe they started out good. But then they found out to be really committed. Man, that messes up their summer weekends at the lake and the family gatherings that they have and their golf game on Sunday with their buddies and on and on. Come on, all the things that get in the way of people out here, all the allurements and everything that are out here. I just mentioned a few. It's not like those are the big things. I'm just saying let your mind go. There are all kinds of distractions out here. And the farther we go from the year of 1967, the far less regard there is for the Lord's Day now. I mean, in every single way, in business, industry, and such as that, it's usually just business as usual, and Sunday is just another day. And so there are people that get caught up in that. And what I'm saying is that I could just go, I'll never forget it, and knock door after door after door after door and talk to person after person. It was hard to find anybody in Oklahoma City that wasn't already <clears throat> saved. Because even if they were a persuasion that they were a part of a denomination uh, that they had... Um, that, that didn't even preach a clear message of the gospel. Billy Graham had come to Oklahoma City a few years before that. And many of those people got saved, they said. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying there's no fruit, there's no evidence. But they're, but they're right back where they were in a non-Bible preaching church or not in church at all. And then that, I told you about that big Southern Baptist church there, First Southern of Dale City. And there were people that would go to that crusade and raise their hand that they were saved and then believed that they were saved. So what are you knocking on my door getting in my face about? I'm already being saved. See, are you following Jesus in my own way? Somebody ought to preach about that sometime. That we're not at liberty to define what discipleship means for ourselves. Jesus is the one who defines what a disciple of his will be. So I'm just saying to you that there are many that have turned and followed him no more. And I said what the Bible says. There are many that have done that that have made some kind of profession along the way. Some may have actually unsaved, some not. I don't know. I'm not able to say that. I just know that at some point they come to a crossroads and they make the decision, I'm out of here. I'm done with that. I'm going to go on with other pursuits and other things in my life. And they turned and followed him no more because they found something that was too hard for them. If it wasn't a doctrine or a teaching, it was a demand of discipleship or baptism or whatever the case might be. There are many like that. But it's also possible to be a faithful member of Calvary Baptist Church. There's no need in talking about somebody else. I mean, this is where we are tonight. It's possible to be a member of Calvary Baptist Church and not miss one night of the revival and never miss a Sunday and turn and follow him no more. Because the grand sum of the Christian life is not having your body in church. Do I think that's important? Well, of course I think that's important. What do you think I am? I'm sure I believe that's important. Is that the sum total of the Christian life? Is, does, excuse me, I, I have a question. Does that constitute spirituality? Does that constitute spiritual maturity? 
It, is it possible or not possible that a person may be here every time the doors are open? I'm thinking of an instance where a man, I, I'll spare you the long story of it, but where a man finally got to the point where he went to church for this reason. He went to church because his wife was already disappointed. He used to really be plugged in, but then he got tripped up by a demand of fellowship that God put on his heart. There was nobody to blame except God. And God put a demand upon him to follow that he wasn't willing to do. And so he backed off. And he told his pastor, the only reason I go to church is I don't want to hurt my wife any more than I've already hurt her. Because he's backed completely away. He had been a deacon, resigned as that, been a Sunday school teacher of an adult class, resigned from that. Had sung in the choir, resigned from that, backed off from doing anything. And he said, the only reason I'm still even going to church is I don't want to make my wife any more hurt than she already is. And I don't want to be a worse testimony to my kids than I already am. But he said, I assure you, I go to church, but I hear nothing. I see nothing. I feel nothing. So he's there in body, but he has turned to follow him no more. That's possible, isn't it? It's entirely possible. As a matter of fact, I'll go a step farther. It's possible for somebody to stand in the pulpit week after week and dutifully say what the Bible says and dutifully deliver a sermon because that's why people come and that's what they expect and himself have already departed from following Jesus. That's entirely possible. That can happen. I'm just saying, somebody says, you're not painting a very good picture here. Well, I'm just pretty much telling you what's here is that not a few, but there are many that would turn to follow him no more. And I don't know what we've seen since the days that Jesus walked himself upon the earth to make us think, well, it wouldn't be near like that now. If somebody starts following him now, they're going to follow him all the way. No, I'm going to say that if people that saw him, heard him, come on, with these physical eyes and with these ears, heard what he said and saw the miracles he did and knew that this is not a man speaking that is eloquent and that is refined and that is well-learned. This is divine. This is deity. And they are in the presence of deity and they're able to turn and walk away and follow him no more. I'm just saying right now. You have to know where you are. Because see, it's not my business, Pastor. I mean, uh, if I pastored this church, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be my business to say, you, you, you're not following the Lord. Because sometimes I don't even know. Uh, sometimes people can live a double life. I said, sometimes people can live a double life. Sometimes they can have everybody deceived, everybody fooled, strong Christian, good man, good family. Yes, sirree, yes, sirree. And he's a wreck or she's a wreck or the family's a wreck. No, that's entirely possible. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just going to say it is entirely possible to have been this close to Jesus Christ and come to a certain place where it's just too hard to be genuine, sincere, and follow him and turn and follow him no more, even though you might set yourself down in one of these chairs. That's not an accusation. I'm saying it's a possibility. See. And many turned and followed him no more. Boy, that's a sad tone, isn't it? That is a sad thing. You know what Jesus makes evident? 
They never ate. They never ate of the bread. They never ate of the bread. They never drank. We also, uh, and they turned, uh, excuse me, verse 66, they walked and followed, went no, walked no more with him. They were, look at me a second. They were that close. Oh, they ate that bread on that day on that mountainside or wherever it was. There was along the way around Bethesda there and it was kind of a deserty, grassy area there. Yeah. Desert, but there was a grassy area there. And that's where it was. So it wasn't a mountainside. It was over there on that northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And they ate that bread all right, but they didn't eat the living bread. Yeah. Pretty sad. I'd like for you to think about I, I try to use my imagination and think, I wonder how Jesus said that. John wrote it down. He was there. And he said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, here's the thing. And I mentioned this last night, but I'm going it, to, it's right to mention it again right now. Uh, then Jesus did not say, wait, wait, wait. I mean, if you look at a multitude and many started turning to follow him no more. Imagine the multitude there and they just start walking away and they're kind of murmuring. I didn't make up the murmuring. It's right there. They have a murmuring attitude. They're walking away. And, and you know, it had to be quite a sad sight. Wow. All of a sudden, this isn't going quite like it seemed like it was going. It seemed like we're losing some momentum right here. This movement is losing steam right here. We were doing fine till Jesus started talking about you know, actually being the bread from heaven and they must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, which he meant, uh, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It means they had to believe in him. You're not going to have eternal life. You don't believe in me. Well, no way. Well, you're from Nazareth. We know your parents and your family and all of that. No, no. And Jesus can't, he, what, what's he supposed to do? He's not going to deny who he is. People can't be saved. They don't know who he is. And he is the bread from heaven. And he is the way to eternal life. Come on, friends. He's the only way to eternal life. And if they don't eat of him, they can't have eternal life. And if they don't eat of him, they'll be resurrected, but the resurrection of the dead, not the resurrection of the living. Judgment instead of eternal life. And there they go. You know what strikes me in this passage? is Jesus didn't say a word to him. He turns to his disciples. They're right up here in the choir loft. Can you see them? They're always close by, and they're right up here. And Jesus, they're all, disciples are watching, others are watching. There they go. Hey, man, that's not a few. As a matter of fact, it's many that are leaving with this murmuring attitude. It's not just that they remembered chores they had to do. They're leaving the situation. Yeah. And, and look at me a second. Without hesitation, he turns to the disciples. Will you go away also? He says to them. Turns his attention immediately, not to the ones that say, no, this is too hard for me, and reject who he is and what he has for them. Are you listening to this? He turns immediately to the ones that are to follow him and that he has chosen, and he says to them, will ye 
also go away? He pays attention to those that are with him. He pays attention to those that will go. I, I remember worrying about it as a pastor. I was a young pastor, you know, and we had people, we had the revolving door going there sometimes, and people were leaving, and I didn't understand all that. I'd seen my pastor, and he'd talked to me about it. I worked for him for seven years, and they, we oftentimes really had the revolving door going, but I wasn't the pastor. That was his responsibility, not mine. And now it's mine, and I got this small flock, and it's a church on life support, and there are people that I had to make decisions right off the bat, and there are some that just up and left, just like that. Boom, they're gone. And I remember thinking, my soul, what am I going to do now? I mean, this is just awful. And then uh, some of the other people, well, their time in Stillwater, a university town, uh, their time at Oklahoma State was up, and they move, and people are moving. I'm thinking the church is already on life support. We've got more leaving than we got coming. And I remember thinking how terrible that is. I mean, it was just an awful feeling. And then I remember through the process of time, it took a while, but through the process of time, I remember developing this. I didn't read it anywhere, I just kind of made it up. Uh, I, in prayer, I was talking to the Lord, Lord, I'm just going to go with those who want to go. That's what I'm going to do. I, I can't do anything about the people that decide not to stay there, the people that decide to move, the people that go here and go there and they quit for various reasons. I have no control over that. You want to talk about futility, start worrying about that and try to make those decisions for the people that have already made the decision, I'm out of here and you're going to change their mind? Probably not. And so I just kind of made up my mind. Lord, I came to the Lord and I just said, I'm just going to go with those who will go. That took a big burden off of me. All of a sudden, if they're not going to be there and they don't want to be there, then i got to give attention to the people that do want to be here. And we need to have some fruit and we need to reach some people and we need to do what a New Testament church is supposed to do. I'm going with those that will go. Must have been something what Jesus was saying. There they go. And the disciples and Jesus watched and he said, Will ye also go away? That's a great question. That's a great question. Pastor, when I was pastoring, Pastor, uh, I don't. Uh, you might have noticed that the so-and-so family—they haven't been here lately. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, no, okay. Well, they're not coming back. And uh, you know, you could just kind of see the hurt and everything. They're not going to be back here at Bible Baptist in Stillwater, Southwest. They're not going to be back. So I've been known to say, are you leaving? Well, no, no. Somebody said, why would you ask him that? Well, that's what he did. Sounded like a good thing to do. Are you, are you going to stay in it? Whoa, yeah, I'm going to stay in there. Because a lot of times people watch other people more than they watch Jesus. Yeah. And when people don't make the right choices or the right decisions or they make decisions that are hurtful to others, then there are people that lose their complete desire to even follow the Lord. And they're gone too. Yeah. I, I don't know Marshall, Missouri that well. I would imagine uh, pastor and others that have knocked doors around here have found a lot of people that used to be in church. Maybe this one at some time or another. Yeah. And, and so wouldn't it be nice if nobody ever left? Well, yes and no. But I don't have time to explain the no part right there. Uh, but, yeah, you, you know, theoretically, yes, it'd be nice if nobody ever left. But, but I'm just saying it, the reality is people do leave. But what are you going to do? 
Now, it's been a wonderful week, and I've enjoyed the spirit of the church. I've enjoyed everything about it. But let's say that there's somebody that you care for in this church, and it comes out that in the next month or six months or a year from now, they're not here anymore, and they got crossways about something or some truth from the Bible tripped them up, and so they just decided, I'm not going to go. If, not, if I do go, it won't be the Calvary Baptist Church. That preacher preached that. Now, never mind if it was line upon line what the Word of God said. It didn't set well with them, and so they're not going to be there anymore. Okay, well, that's, I, I'm sorry for that. Now, what are you going to do? Because that's what Jesus asked. Will you go away also? That's a great question. Every one of us ought not, listen to this, we ought not shy away from dealing with that question honestly ourselves. There are many that are departing. Pastors need to deal with that. Stand in the pulpit. They see all the winds of change that are going on out here. And, and it's sad what's happened to some churches that used to have a message, used to have some fervor and fire and cared about souls. And now it's an entertainment venue. And it's more psychology than it is Bible. And a lot of it's more baloney than Bible. I, and, and that's a sad thing. But what I have to do as a preacher, what am I going to do about it? Well, you go, Pastor Haggett, what are you going to do about it? And you got to answer the question when you see people, not everybody's wanting to follow the Lord. Not everybody wants it cut straight. Not everybody wants somebody to rightly divide the word of the truth and tell me like it is. Not everybody wants that. Okay, so they don't. What are you going to do? And this great question got a great answer. I think that question must have hung out there mm, about a second and a half. And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Right. Oh, this is deep. This is wonderful. <coughs> to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at me a second. Everybody's unstable until that is settled in your soul. Amen. Nobody is stable unless they understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I wish that everybody would stay in church. I wish that they would commit themselves to Jesus. But I can tell you that for myself, let's say it with Peter, I can say it for myself, I know who he is. And I'm not serving somebody else. And I'm not serving because somebody else is serving. I am serving Jesus Christ who, the Bible says, is the same yesterday and today and forever. He cannot lie on, he cannot fail. And what you and I need to do is pay attention to what Peter said here. And what he said needs to be our conviction as well. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. My commitment is to Jesus alone. And that commitment can reach out and be a blessing to a lot of people in a lot of ways. But you got to be committed to him alone. See, anybody that leaves Jesus, they go somewhere. I wonder if the people walked away because I don't know how much time was allowed between uh, the time that they began to walk away till Jesus asked, I, I don't know the time frame, until he asked, will you also go away? I don't know how much time. But maybe long enough for Peter or the others to think, where are they going? Because everybody's not going to follow Jesus is going somewhere. I said, they're going to do something. 
So if you're not going to follow Jesus, what are you going to do? Well, some of them would have gone back to their social concerns. Their social concerns. And, and there were many of them. You know, the condition our society right, is right now, the confusion, the oppression, the threat to our freedoms. Come on, friends. The, this country is in a very, very critical state. I, I don't have to preach that, I'm sure, to an intelligent crowd like this, but I'm just saying. They lived in a time of upheaval. Rome made their life very miserable. There were a lot of social concerns. Jews were an oppressed people. I said Jews were an oppressed people. They were overtaxed. They were, they were under this heavy tax burden. They were under this heavy burden of fear because of the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire hated Jews. And if you want to multiply it by two, then you got to say these Jews are believers in this Jesus of Nazareth. And now there's a double-edged sword there. They're despised and hated. So what are these people going to do? Well, we can see he avoided us making him king, so we got to do something for our country. So they're not going to follow Jesus. They're going to go back to social concerns. Some are going to go back to their Judaism. Well, well yes, it may be dead, but we're familiar with it. That's what they might have been thinking. We're, we're going back to our old Judaism. Well, you didn't find anything when you was there because you were listening to teachers that were putting burdens on you that they themselves were not even willing to bear. That's what Jesus would say about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were putting burdens on the people that they themselves were not able to, uh, willing to bear. But we'll go back to, well, I know, but that'll make my situation with the family better because they're all still back there. And... Uh, and it may be dead, but at least I understand it because he gave some words. I mean, did you hear what he said? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He tried to make it clear that he is talking about these are spiritual things, not physical things. And they must believe in him and they must receive him. And they said, now wait just a minute, wait just a minute. If he wants to be the king, if he wants to help us restore Israel back to power and back to glory, if he wants to relieve us of the oppression of Rome, yes, sir, we're in. But forsake everything and follow him? No, we're not ready for that. So some of them will go back. Some of them will go back to their sin. He was a friend of sinners, you know. Is everybody with me? You haven't quit tonight, have you? I mean, it's good. I haven't abused the time yet. <laughs> but what, what, what kind of people did he reach? Sinners. Publicans. Sinners. And some of them would go back to their sin. Sadly. Oh, I got some sad stories that I could tell. One about a, an individual that was like a spiritual hero in my life. Saved out of our little hometown there. If, if, if you ever heard uh, back in the day, as some of the older folks have, about Al Capone and some of those gangsters from the days gone by, hear these names and it's like, oh boy, there's a wild one. Well, this guy's name was like hearing Al Capone in our part of the, our part of the He got saved. He got saved. At least it appeared. Pastor to church. I worked for him seven years. It's like a dream come true working for a childhood hero. And along the way, 
I could tell something's not right. Something's not right. And he wound up going to prison. The very thing that he had been, the, the life that he had been saved from, when he lost his heart and desire for souls and preaching and the word, went right back into those sins again. And wound up in prison for a time. Sad. Yeah. Terribly sad. I don't, I don't like to tell that. I'm just saying that's what happens. They're going somewhere. If you're not going to follow Jesus, you're going somewhere. I wouldn't do anything like that. Well, you don't know what you'll do when Jesus is not the Lord of your life. Your heart, my heart, is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, and who can know it? I didn't determine that. God already determined that in his word. Some went back to materialism. Make more money anyway. Come on, I don't have to labor on that. Oh, there's all kind of teaching stuff floating around out there. Some probably found it. People say, I'm telling you, there are a bunch of false teachers and so forth right here. There always have been. Jesus warned about them. His apostles warned about them. There's always been false teachers around. We may have better access to them now because of the media and such as that and the, the technology, but I'm just saying, some will go back and they'll find some other teaching. Hey, did you know you can go to that church, be a member in good standing, and do about anything you want to? And they'll never make you feel guilty about it. There are some people that eat that up. And some of these mega churches, you know, their sermons are these sermons, oh, that's a misuse of the term. Their talks are their talks are designed to make sure everybody's feeling good about yourself. Yeah. Yes, sir. Everybody's happy. Peter's reply. I want you to look at it right quick. We'll do this real fast. Look at his reply down here in uh, Verse number 69, we believe, for to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, 69. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, uh, that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Watch what he said. We believe and are sure in that order. Believing in him will make you sure of him. There are some people who say, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure yet till I believe. No, you got it backwards. Peter said it right. He said, we believe and we are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. See, and that is a dynamic answer. It's a profound answer. And that's got to be the answer that every one of us have, that we are sure and that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has the words of eternal life. You know what I almost talked myself into doing? Going to the 119th Psalm tonight. If we do, how about a late Friday night? I mean, it's the weekend. How about a late night service, you know? Because that's what would happen. So I'm not going to do it. But he said, thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Hold on just a second. You believe him, you believe him, and you can be sure and you can know. Now, hold on just a second. And the more that you put your face in that Bible, I don't care if it's the 119th Psalm or the Gospel of John, the more sure you are of the wisdom of God, of the wisdom of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, 
Yes, sir, indeed. And how his precepts and his teachings and his law, I have come to do thy will, O God. I'm just, I'm just telling you right now that when you look at the Bible, Jesus, is, he doesn't start with him in the Gospel of Matthew. Oh, no, no. The wisdom of Proverbs in chapter number 8, I mean, that wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and you can be sure and you can know. But hold on just a second. If you're not going to live in the Bible, if you're not going to put your face there, if you're not going to read it for yourself, what you do when you come to church ought to be a con contribution to what you're already doing when you're not at church. Yeah. And if all, you're, hey, if all you're getting from the Word of God is what you get when you come to church, I don't care if it's John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul doing the preaching, you're not going to get everything you need unless you yourself spend time in the Word of God. And what does that do? It just digs your roots deeper. It just makes your foundation more solid. It just makes you more sure and rock solid of the wisdom of God and the might of God and the love of God and the power of God and who Jesus is. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Doubts don't come because people spend too much time in the Bible. Doubts come because people spend too much time with other things besides the Bible. Amen? That's right. We're about done. So you're either one of the many... Or you're one of the twelve. Or. There's one more. Verse 70. Jesus answered them. Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve. One of the brothers asked me either last night or the night before, and it wasn't like he didn't know the answer, but we were just talking, and he said, uh, Brother Sam, do you believe that uh, when Jesus sent those disciples out two by two and they did you know, works in the name of Jesus, cast out demons and great things happened, do you think Judas would have been out there doing that with them and having the same effect as the other disciples? I said, yes, I do. How could you think Judas would be able to go out there and do that? Well, have you read the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Where Jesus said, for many shall come to me in that day and say, Lord, have we not done many mighty works in your name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name have we not, I may have got it backwards there, but in, in thy name haven't we done these mighty works? And Jesus said that I will say unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. So evil among that 12, it's a mystery. There's, there's far more to look into than we have time to go into tonight. That's for sure.
And I'm, I'm not even ready to go as far as, as much as could be spent on the time. But I do know this, that Jesus taught a parable. And he said that whenever the good seed is sown, that the evil one comes and sows or overplants. When there is wheat that is sown, he overplants with tares. The evil one, the devil, overplants with tares. So that the tares and the wheat grow up together. Well, Lord, should we go out and pull up those tares? He said, no, wait till the harvest. Because if you go pulling them out now, then you're going to do damage to some of the wheat. But Jesus taught that. Now, what do you think about that? Basically, he taught that everywhere that he, the Son of Man, and those who follow him plant the good seed that the devil comes along and overplants with evil. What do you think about that? You know what I think about that? I think it's so. <laughs> That's what Jesus said would happen. So what do you have? Excuse me. Think with me here just a second. So what do you have when you have a New Testament church come together? And those that assemble in a, an authentic New Testament church have been genuinely born again, been saved, been regenerated. They have the life of God in them. They have been biblically baptized, and they are a part of this authentic New Testament church. Do you think then that if this is the wheat, that's, the, that's what we're looking for is the wheat, right? And so you think if there is the wheat here, you think it would be a shocking thing to find out that the devil has overplanted and there's someone or ones that are tares? Oh, it's quiet in here. But on what grounds would we deny the possibility of that? Oh, no, no, I, no, I don't think, no, I don't think it happened. Now, listen to me just a second. I've read the Bible quite a bit, and there's no exemption because it's Marshall, Missouri. In fact, I couldn't find Marshall in there or Oklahoma City except in the way that everywhere that the seed is sown is in there. Is everybody with us? Now, I'm not accusing. God in heaven knows. I'm just saying what's here. He looked at these 12 and he says, uh, and, and he answered and said, have not I chosen Isn't it amazing? Peter made this great statement. He said, uh, to whom shall we go? We believe thou art the Christ. There's no, apart from you, there's no life. There's no living there's no meaning apart from you. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Why didn't Jesus say, well said? Because he did that the first time Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 16, thou hast well said, Peter, Simon, uh, Simon uh, son of Bar-Jonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this unto you. Why didn't he say some comment to him right there? I don't know. But he just went right to the fact that there is a tear among you. One of you has a devil. <laughs> wow. That's enough to offend somebody right there, isn't it? 
So look, I'm here tonight. I'm looking over this assembly. I don't know everybody. I'm not saying there's a Judas in this room. But on what basis would we deny the possibility that wherever there is a flock, wherever there is wheat, wherever the seed has been sown and people come together and they have produced and they reproduce, what basis would we deny that the old devil has been at work and somewhere among us is a tear or are tears? We have no real basis to deny the possibility of that. So it's not the idea to have a business meeting tonight and do some interrogation and try to find out if there's a Judas in here. That's not the idea. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But I will say this. I don't think for one minute ever Judas was confused about who he was. Do you, Pastor? I think I'm saved. No, I don't know if I am or not. Oh, I might be. I don't know. I, no, no. Jesus said he has a devil. And it's been my experience over the years when this comes up and somebody is either exposed or they humble themselves and they beg forgiveness and they do get saved. They knew the whole time. I said they knew the whole time. And most of the time, I mean, just almost every time when that happens, listen to this. You know, I said I was confused. I said this or that, but I knew the whole time. And all I'm saying is this. Since I can't see the heart, I can't read the heart, it's not my business to pass judgment. If there is someone in this room tonight and you know, I may not cause the trouble Judas did. I may not be as famous as Judas was, but I am what he was. I, I am not a child of God. Somebody said, well, could Judas have gotten saved? Well, only if a man will humble himself and repent. If anybody comes to him, he said, I'll in no wise cast them out. Did Jesus with perfect foreknowledge know that Judas was not going to be saved? I would say yes. Which doesn't mean that he went to hell because he was created to go to hell. He went to hell because he would not quit playing the game. And he surrendered to the powers of evil rather than to the holy son of God that was right there in his midst. And if there's a Judas in this room, you're not ordained to go to hell. No. So what should I do? What should you do? Come to Jesus. Confess who you are. Call upon his name. Receive his grace and be saved like all saved people get saved. <laughs> it's that simple. But if you make it the focus on the self, and you're playing this game and I can't let anybody know, you'll play your game all the way to hell. And it doesn't have to be that way. See, you're in this story. Everybody that gets confronted about who Jesus is is in this account. Many that say, well, I was with him up to a point, but no more. 
the disciples, where else could we go? Thank God for the people who are in this room that are there. But can't imagine your life without following Jesus. Can't imagine your life without being in fellowship with the Lord. Thank God. Some of that. And is there a Judas? I don't know. I can't answer that. I have no reason to deny the possibility. Anywhere the seed is sown, the evil one overplants and the tares grow up. That was Judas. In the sovereign, listen to this, in the permissible sovereign will of God, Judas got among the 12. God didn't make him that way. I said God didn't make him that way. God didn't prevent his salvation. But he allowed him to be among the 12. Why? Why? Well, that's a fair question. Probably because we'd need to talk about this kind of situation for a long time. For a long time. Father, we thank you for the time once again in the Word. <clears throat> And it's almost unthinkable it's, it, if, if, if I'm amongst, and I know I am, amongst people that love Jesus and love the Bible and love the Lord, it's, it's almost unimaginable that those people would say, well, no, I mean, he may have fed the 5,000, did this and that and another thing, but this is too much. And just walk away? But it happened, and it happens. May we learn from it. May we benefit. May we not act like this isn't here. It is here. Almost anybody's been saved any length of time. If they haven't struggled with being offended and departing themselves, they know someone that has. If somebody is here right now and they're struggling mightily with some doctrine or with some demand of discipleship or something that your Holy Ghost is calling upon them to be or do and it's just not something that they really expected that would be a part of their life, a part of their fellowship. Oh God, I pray to you to help them to weigh it out very, very carefully before they say, you know, I was fine up till this. And then make the choice to follow him no more. I pray for those that are in this room that love you and love your word and automatically said amen, if not out loud inwardly to the words of Peter. Where would we go, Lord? You are everything. You're the source of everything. To whom shall we go? Back to our dead religion? Back to our sins that had us in bondage and guilt and condemnation? Back to social issues that will frustrate people till Jesus rules and reigns upon the earth? Back to riches that are vain and fade away and are insecure? Lord, where would we go? We believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God that you have the words of eternal life. Thank you for that.
Thank you for each one. May they be solidified, encouraged, and strengthened tonight. And then if there's somebody here that everybody thinks they're saved or nobody suspects they're not, but they know they're not, there is no merit and there is no There is no glory in playing that game and deceiving people. When Jesus said, one of you has a devil, the disciple says, is it I? Is it I? Didn't he? Judas was so crafty, it didn't even know it was him. If there's somebody playing that game tonight, I pray that there would be humility of heart to come before you and say, oh God, I don't want to play this game and perish in hell. I believe in Jesus. I receive him for, my, for the salvation of my sins. He is the sinless one who paid for the price of sinners like me. I receive him. He rose again from the dead. He's coming back again. I want to know Christ as my Savior. God, help them to have the humility of heart to be saved tonight. I might you accomplish your will through this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?